We were struggling a lot with Daniel in Bible class, getting texted or brought out on a regular basis. Um, he was not able to handle big groups and loud noises and a lot of expectations on him. Life is overwhelmed. If you ask him what he doesn't like, he doesn't like people and he doesn't like noise. It does, for better or worse, becomes all about Daniel. For our family, at moments, it just does. Um, to help him manage because he struggles so much. Well, we were on the verge before that of trying to find another church family at that point because it was, it was such a struggle to, to do Sundays, to get him here to begin with because he wasn't having he wasn't having a positive experience at church. And so that was a struggle for him. So trying to talk him into the fact that church is fun and it's a great place to go and I don't have to do that anymore. Janet Hervey was the first person who approached us and was like, hey, we have this Friday Night Lights, which is kind of an extension of the Shine Ministry. We'd love to, you know, help help with your boys. So it took about a year um, and a journey with us of getting diagnosed and kind of figure out what those issues were and what they were stemming from in order for us to go, you know what, this would be beneficial for him. Because we were part of Friday Night Lights, then when the class started, we were very excited to have something so that he could enjoy class and we could enjoy class um, and that people would just love on him but he hopefully will love church you know that he has positive experiences in a loving church family his last birthday the people he wanted to invite were um, Amber Arnold um, he we also invited Donna Taylor like there were people who had loved on him through there that I, I gave him the option because it, it wasn't going to be a big thing. That's not that's not how he is celebrated and how he feels comfortable. Um, but he got to pick those people. And so half those people were the people that take care of him and shine. There's a lot of people that, you know, what's really great is somebody to private message me or text me during the week and go, you know what? I just had this really great moment, you know, with Daniel because connecting is really a struggle for him. And to know that, you know what? Someone got through to him. Someone had a moment um, where they, you know, where he was responding to them. When, when I think about where we started with him three years ago, where there was um, his ability to have eye contact, to have a reciprocal conversation, um, those things are getting to be worked out. To know that he's having additional practice with other people outside of our family and that those are going well, especially from the other person's perspective, is really encouraging that someone else is getting to see how great our kid is. Shine is a safe place for your child to be loved on and accepted right where they at, they're at. Um, it's safe for them physically, it's safe for them emotionally, it's supportive, um, and that your child will have a positive experience in a church family. Amen. I, I'm, I'm Keith Maloney. I'm one of the ministers here. I'm not the regular preaching minister. If your guest with us come back, and you'll, you'll hear him. It's, he's a blessing to our church family. But he's asked me to fill in today. And I just have to start by saying I am so thankful to be a part of this church family. To be a part of a place where people are welcome. All kinds of people. Anybody. Where, where a place is provided for people to belong. And it's a safe place to be. You know, I don't know that the Shine Ministry is just one example of that. And Friday Night Lights, it's an incredible blessing to families that, that otherwise might not feel like they were, they were where they needed to be. So thank you for all of you that are a part of that ministry and other ministries like that. 
Because I think when we do that, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus in a powerful way. You know, when you, when you go somewhere to a, a church, or maybe it's a, an office or a school or a, a neighborhood, and, and people, they, they act like, well, okay, it's okay for you to be here, but we don't really want you. You're not really one of us. It just hurts, doesn't it? It's painful. But you go somewhere and, and you find people that say, come on, just you're welcome here. We want you to be one of us. That's so affirming. It's so powerful to experience something like that. And, and honestly, I, I think when we, when we do that, when people feel that way here, um, we're being more like Jesus. Because if you, if you look at the Gospels, if you read how Jesus was and how people responded to him, you see that again and again, people just wanted to be around him. Some of the people that were the farthest away from Jesus in their lifestyle wanted to be the, the closest to him. He just had this way of drawing people to him. Some of the ungodliest people wanted to be near the godliest man who ever lived. And then when, when he was gone and he left his group of followers to continue on, the, a, a similar thing happened. People just, just really enjoyed it. Acts 2 tells us that, that they enjoyed the favor of all the people. And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, people would say, oh, I, don't know. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not sure that I believe everything they believe, but I sure like those people. I'm glad they're here. And I like hanging around them. I like being around them. And one by one, a, a mom or a dad or a, a child or somebody just starting out in life, somebody at the end of their, their, their life would, would experience that and come to know Jesus. And it would just change everything. And, and the church just lived for that. That's who they were. They, they knew that's what they were about. Now, I'm not sure it's as much that way, are you? But it's what we're supposed to be about. Sometimes we get confused about this. Sometimes we, we aren't really sure what it is we're supposed to be about because there are so many good things that the church can be about that are good and right and God-honoring and, and people-serving. There was a guy that was a member here uh, years ago, and he had, would always have what I call the cause du jour. Because every time I'd see him, he'd have this, this new idea. He had found something that another church somewhere was doing or, or a parachurch organization was doing. And it was a great thing. It was the greatest thing ever. And, and our church just had to get involved in that. We just had to be about that. And then after a few months, I'd see him again and he'd have another cause. It was the greatest thing ever. And we just had to be about that. But there was always something new. always something different. And they were all good things. They really were. But sometimes we get... We get caught up. We see, oh, that's really cool what that church is doing or what those people are doing. And we kind of get distracted from the primary reason that we're here because we're not here just for us. The church is here for people that aren't part of us yet. <clears throat> what we want to talk about this Sunday as we launch a real short three-week series is why we are here. We want to just get back to basics, back to fundamentals, to why we exist as a, as a people. And it's real foundational, and it's real simple. And it, and it starts with this. People matter to God. 
all people. Doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, what you're like. God loves someone, anyone. You've never met anyone that God doesn't love more than you can imagine. And because of that, if we're going to be the people of God, then we need to love people too. All people. No matter who they are, where they've been, what they've done, what they're like, we need to love people. I mean, everybody needs to be welcome here. Now, that's really easy to say. But it's not very easy to do. It's not very easy for us to live out. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see that again and again, he had to work really hard to try to get people to understand this. And especially it was the religious people that couldn't get this. And part of the reason for that is we all have this this powerful tendency kind of built in with us to like people, to value people that are a lot like us. It's just the way we're made. It's the way God wired us when, when we started. And so there's this powerful tendency to join together in groups. And that's not bad. That's not wrong. That's the way God made us, after all. But then sin comes in. And this natural tendency becomes unhealthy and harmful and unkind. But we've been doing it ever since. I remember the first time I I butted up against that in a real personal, up-close way. I was going into the seventh grade. Now, back in in the dark ages when I was in school, there wasn't middle school. We had junior high school, and it started in the seventh grade. Some of you guys remember that. It started in the seventh grade, and it was a very different experience. And at the church that I went to, where I had all these friends that I'd grown up in all my life, there were two schools that you went to if you were in that, in that church. There was this school, and then there was that school. And me and one other guy in my church went to this school, and everybody else went to that school. And in the fall, there's football season, and when you play that school, it's for bragging rights for the whole year, right? Okay, well, that first year, my team lost. The games were played on Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday night, I went into Bible class to the heckles and jeers and laughs and ridicule of everybody in the room. And I was instantly an outsider because I wasn't one of them. I was somebody else. They got over it. We're still good friends. But it made me realize, wow, that's just what we do. We do us and them, right? We've all experienced that. There's this basic way we divide up people into us and them. It's just part of our nature. And and we typically think of people in our group, us, well, we're pretty decent people. Them, on the other hand, not so much. We, we We have really good intentions. Theirs are somewhat in doubt. We're pretty congenial, amiable people. They're not like that. We just, we just see things that way. And so we favor us over them. And there's a whole academic discipline that has been established to study this behavior. It's called sociology. Hadn't been around that long. A guy was the first sociology professor in the United States at a university named William Sumner, one of the founders of sociology. Here's how he describes it. He says, each group nourishes its own pride and vanity, boasts itself superior, 
exists in its own divinities and looks with contempt on outsiders. That's not a religious statement. That's from a social scientist, okay? And, and we see that demonstrated over and over again, and all kinds of studies have been done to show that. One study, purely randomly, guys were divided into two different groups, pure random, like a coin flip or something. And it wasn't long at all before the guys in each group had decided that the people in their group were smarter and had better personalities than the people in the other group. And some of you ladies are thinking, well, that's just the way guys are. I mean, really. Here's the deal. Ladies are even more that way. And I don't say that because of some study done. It's just because I'm a guy. I know that. Right? No, just kidding, ladies. Don't send me an email. We just do that. We can't help it. It's what we do. Now, we do it with all kinds of things. It could be about gender. Uh, it could be, I know this is hard to imagine. We, we could do this about politics. There's us and them. There's my side, your side, the right side and the wrong side. Yeah? We can do it about social status or economic status. You know, those rich people, they don't have a clue how hard life is without all that money. Those poor people, if they would just make better decisions, they would get out of poverty. We can do it about age or generations. These, these young kids today, man, they just want everything handed to them. They feel so entitled. They don't know what it is to work hard like we had to, right? Or, you know, the old folks today, man, I mean, they just think things ought to be the way they were 50 years ago. They don't understand the world doesn't work that way anymore. We can do it about gender, about politics, about age, about uh, socioeconomics. We can do it about education or race or a million other things. And we don't even realize we're doing it when it happens. Which brings us to the question, when it comes to God, Who's the end group? Who are the people that God identifies with as his group? Have you ever seen a picture of Jesus with light hair and fair skin and blue eyes? Probably not remotely what Jesus looked like as a Jewish person. See, the Bible tells us God made us in his image. But we are really good at trying to remake God in our image. And we don't even realize we're doing it. And we think, well, God just sees people the way that I do. God just sees things the way I do. Not necessarily. There's one of the major reasons when somebody wants to be a follower of Jesus, we tend to put qualifications on it. You know, we have certain criteria that they have to meet. I mean, after all, if we just let anybody into the church, what's the church going to become, right? Can't do that. Problem with that, it's completely contrary to how Jesus looked at people and how he called people to follow him. Jesus never asked anyone to get their lives all cleaned up and straightened out before they became his followers. He said, just come follow me, just as you are. He was the world's first come-as-you-are rabbi. 
If you read through the Gospels, you'll see Jesus tried to, tried to help people understand that again and again and again. We're going to look at Matthew 9 today, and I've been asked to remind you about, if you look at your Bible on your phone, the Bible app, I call it Version. It's really a good tool. It's got all kinds of versions right there, right there in your pocket. So you go to the events tab, and the notes for this lesson are in there, some of the scriptures and things like that. Really cool thing. If you want to be old-fashioned like me, you know, you, you might want a paper Bible, but the, either one is really good. We're in Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, folks, in that day, a rabbi, Jesus, and a tax collector were about as us and them as you can possibly get. You, you can't imagine two people more different. A, a tax collector in first century Roman Empire was nothing like an IRS agent today. Okay? IRS agent may not be the most popular guy in the room, but he, compared to a Roman tax collector, is absolutely beloved. He really is. Here's one description I read of a tax collector this week. Combine the greed of a Wall Street executive, the audacity of an ambulance-chasing lawyer, and all the warm fuzziness of an IRS auditor, and you have a tax collector. Don't you just want to be around that person? They were actually more like, I suspect, what we would think of as an organized crime collections racket person than a, a government bureaucrat. But they were absolutely hated, despised by their countrymen. Because for one thing, they were working for Rome, which was considered the act of a traitor. For another, they extorted money out of people, or at least they were presumed to because so many of them did. You see, you got this job by bidding on it. It went to the highest bidder for how much they were guaranteeing Rome they would pay in taxes. They would collect and give to Rome in taxes. And whatever they got above that is what they got to keep. And Rome didn't bother with those pesky little you know, background checks to check on fair trade practices or anything like that. Wasn't a problem. So the Jewish people hated them. A person who was really devoted to God wouldn't eat with a tax collector, wouldn't walk with a tax collector, wouldn't talk to a tax collector, wouldn't even look at them. They wanted nothing to do with these people. Let me explain it this way. If you've read the Bible, read through the Gospels, you'll, you'll see a little phrase that's found repeatedly says sinners and tax collectors, sinners and tax collectors. You know, now, tax collectors were sinners, right? We can all agree on that. Why does it differentiate between a sinner and a tax collector? Because the sinners would be offended if they were lumped into the same category as the tax collectors. You couldn't get lower than a tax collector. Now, before, you, before, before we snicker at that too much, guys, we do the same thing today. We always want to find somebody lower than us to make ourselves feel better, right? Well, I might, I might not be totally honest on my tax return, but at least I'm no thief. I may not have always treated my spouse the way that God wants me to, but I never hit her. At least I'm not a murderer. At least I'm not, you fill in the blank. We do it all the time. Well, the poor tax collectors, they didn't have anybody they could say, at least I'm not that. They were at the bottom of the barrel. Now, Jesus is walking along with some of his disciples here in Mark 9. And he comes to this tax collector's booth. There's tax collectors here. I don't know who's with him. Peter, James, John, some of his disciples. And he stops, and his disciples figure, okay, we know what's coming. 
He's looking at this tax collector. He's going to say what any good rabbi would say. Guys, this is, this is the kind of pitiful state you can get into if you don't walk with God. Stay away from people like this. So they're waiting for him to say it. And to their amazement, to their astonishment, he doesn't say anything like that. Instead, he walks right up to the guy, looks him in the eye, and says two words. Follow me. He goes up to this guy that nobody wants to have anything to do with and says, hey, I really, I really want to build a relationship with you. I want you on my team. I think you and I together, if we team up, we can do some pretty cool stuff. I think we can make a difference around here. And everybody is just shocked. It's just unthinkable. This is unimaginable. This is scandalous for a rabbi to do something like that. It would be like us going into a... a, a Drug neighborhood, drug-infested neighborhood, walking up to a well-known crack house, knocking on the door, and when the guy answers saying, hey, you want to be mayor? I think I can get you elected. It's not going to happen. Now, if this little crowd watching, however many people are around is watching, are amazed at what Jesus does, they're going to be even more shocked at what the guy does because they know what he's going to do too, or they think they know what he's going to do. I mean, this is a tax collector. You don't go into the Rome-loving, Israel-hating, neighbor-cheating, make-myself-rich tax-collecting business except for one reason. You don't care about anybody but yourself. This guy had already made that call. So they're going, oh man, this is going to be rich. I, I, he's going to laugh in Jesus' face. Or maybe, maybe he'll schedule him for a tax audit. I don't know. But instead, to their utter amazement. Matthew is speechless. I mean, he's not getting offers by rabbis to come and be their disciple every day. He, he doesn't, we don't, as far as we know, he doesn't say anything. The Bible just says this. Matthew got up and followed him. That's it. He gets up, he leaves his tax collecting station, leaves his job, leaves his livelihood, leaves whatever shreds of self-respect he may have had left. He follows Jesus. Friends, don't miss this. Matthew, the person that everybody thought was the most unlikely candidate to be a follower of Jesus, was just one ask away from being his disciple. One ask away from the kingdom of God. Don't write people off. The story doesn't end here. It gets even more strange, if you can, if you can believe it. A number of versions, if you've, got your, if you've got your Bible app out, check out some different versions. A number of versions start verse 10 with the word later. Later. Don't know how much Later. I suspect it was a while. I suspect it was after Matthew had followed Jesus for a while. And this guy that, that grew up in a, in a two-bit outpost of the Roman Empire in a dog-eat-dog world and learned how not only to survive but to thrive in, in one way, anyhow, in that existence. He's seen a whole different way of doing life. 
And he knows he will never go back to his old life again. And Matthew gets to thinking, you know, Jesus, he really took a chance on me. I mean, I'm, I'm nothing like people would expect to be a disciple of a rabbi. But Jesus invited me to follow him. I wonder if he would do it again. I, I got some friends, some of my center and tax collector friends, they're not really very good people. But, and <laughs> they sure, I don't think any of them have been to church in a long time. They don't have any use for religion, really, to be honest. But I kind of think they'd like Jesus. I, I think if, if I could just get them and Jesus together, I, I think it would really make a difference. And then he has this brainstorm. He has this crazy idea. He says, I know, what if I had a dinner party? What if I threw a party and, and I invited my friends to come to it and then I got Jesus to come? I mean, I've, I've still got my house and, and I've got plenty of money. That tax collecting gig paid off pretty well. I, I could buy all the food and the drinks and, and whatever we needed. I could hire a band. Man, we could have a really good party and I could get Jesus to come and if I could just get them together, he would do the rest. And he just, he just, the more he thinks about it, the more he thinks, he's got to do this, but he's not sure. I mean, he's, he hadn't been around Jesus a long time. So he goes to maybe Matt, to John and James, and he says, hey, guys, let me run this by you. I'm thinking about telling, asking Jesus about this. And he tells them what he's thinking. And the more he talks, the deeper their frown gets. And by the end of his explanation, they're just kind of shaking their head and go, oh, Matthew, buddy, I know your heart's in the right spot. I mean, you mean well, but you don't get something. We're taking enough flat for having you in our group. You have him start going to parties like that, you're going to destroy the last bit of credibility he's got left. You, you, he can't do that. And Matthew's kind of bummed at that, but he understands. I mean, it makes sense to him. So he kind of just puts it on a shelf and goes on. But he can't get this out of his head. And, and, and he, he just finally, he, he goes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, Rabbi, teacher. Here's, I got this idea. What do you think? And he tells Jesus the same thing. And Jesus, when he starts to talk, Jesus starts to grin. And he gets bigger and bigger until the, the, the time that, by the time that Matthew's finished telling him what he's thinking, Jesus is just grinning from ear to ear, man. And Matthew's going, oh, no, they told me this was a stupid idea. I, I never should have brought this up. But before he can say, oh, never mind, Jesus, Jesus says, Matthew, I love that. I've just been waiting for somebody to, to come up with something like that. Let's do it. And so Matthew sends out Evites, and he posts it on Facebook, and he tweets about it, and he wants to make sure all his friends know so all of his friends can come to the party. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> you understand, the people he's inviting have never been invited to a dinner with a rabbi. I mean, they are not on that list. But Matthew invites them. In verse 10, it just says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And that would have been an interesting party to be at, wouldn't it? Just to be a fly on the wall and hear what was going on. I don't know what, what they said, but I think I know one thing that was said more than once. Because I've been in a situation that where it was. Sometimes... People invite me to have a part in the, a funeral service for a loved one, or maybe a wedding when somebody's getting married.
married. And, and we'll be sitting around the kitchen table talking about, you know, what we want to do. Or, or maybe we're at the rehearsal dinner for a wedding. And there are people there, I know this is hard to imagine, but there are people there that don't normally go to church. And they, they just haven't been around this church crew a lot. And they'll be talking and they'll come out with some really colorful remarks and colorful language. And then they'll realize, ooh, I shouldn't be saying that. And they'll kind of look over at me and they go, oops, sorry, pastor. Sorry, father. Sorry, reverend. And I just kind of smile and say, I promise you, at Matthew's party, there was a lot of, oops, sorry, Rabbi. And Jesus just said, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, you know the way God sees people is so different than the way we divide them up into us and them. Sometimes people that look like them are so much hungrier for God so much more amazed by his unconditional love than people that look like us. Sometimes people are surprised by that, especially religious people. And the disciples, they're, they're confused by this too. They're watching this party and they're scratching their heads and they're, they're wondering what in the world is going on. What is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is the rabbi who says everybody's welcome with me. Jesus is the teacher who invited everyone to be a part of his group. There's no us and them with Jesus. You could come just as you are. Now, the next part of the story, the next last little bit, may make us a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little uncomfortable. But it's really important for us to understand. Because there's, there's some other people watching this party. Back, back then, when they had a party, the, typically a house would have this courtyard in the middle, kind of open air thing, and that's where they would have a, a dinner party. And, and people, even that weren't invited to the party, would kind of hang around and watch and see what was going on. And some of the people that were hanging around at, at the outside of the party were the religious people, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And they were really, they were really confused. And they, they thought of themselves as kind of God's in-group. They knew they were really the people connected with God. And so they couldn't figure out what was going on with this new guy, this new rabbi who didn't play by any of the rules. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, They're asking the disciples. And on hearing this, Jesus said, I don't know why Jesus didn't let the disciples. I've got an idea, a couple of reasons, maybe one. He knew the disciples didn't really understand this either. They're probably as confused as the Pharisees right now. But not only that, Jesus loved teachable moments and opportunities to help people understand what he was really about. So Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6 here. And then he says, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus says, let me tell you why I do this. Because it's, it's, it's probably not what you think. 
It's because God doesn't see people as us and them. God sees everybody as people He loves, people He wants to belong to Him and be in a relationship with Him. So if you understand who God really is, you'll understand that everybody in God's eyes is part of us. Jesus is saying, you know, I didn't really come for people who are connected to God already or who think they're connected to God already because I'm not really going to be able to help them a whole lot. They kind of are set in what they, how they see things. I came for people who are far away from God because God absolutely delights in people who are far away from Him coming to Him. I came for people who think they don't even have a chance with God anymore. Now, the religious leaders are sitting there hearing this, and they see themselves as the examiners and the judges. They're the critics. Jesus is the one who is the acceptor and the one who transforms people. They don't understand. Jesus welcomes people who no other rabbi would welcome. Because he knows the religious people and the irreligious people look a lot different to God than they do to us. And we'll talk more about that next Sunday. But we need to understand as his church, if we're his body, who's welcoming? You see, Jesus welcomed all kinds of people. Jesus welcomed tax collectors and Gentiles and Samaritans and adulterers and prostitutes and people that were demon-possessed. When he was dying on the cross, he welcomed a thief. Because Jesus is going to get this message across if it kills him. And it eventually did. So who's welcome here? Well, believers are welcome here. And unbelievers are welcome here. Pillars of faith and skeptics are welcome here. Men and women are welcome here. Young and old are welcome here. People with wrinkled skin and people with tattooed skin. People with yellow and red and brown and black and white and green and any color skin are welcome here. Rich people and poor people are welcome here. Good people and not so good people. Honest people and dishonest people. People who are clean and people who are addicted are welcome here. People people who are strung out and people who have it all together. People who are straight and people who are gay are welcome here. People who are just so clean they squeak and people who are so dirty you can hardly recognize them as people. Welcome to Jesus' party. Truth is, sometimes we forget that Jesus intended His group of followers to be a place where everybody's welcome. That doesn't mean that people are welcome to just sit and stay and soak in their sinfulness. 
Jesus never turned a blind eye towards sin or condoned it. That Jesus never asked anybody to get all cleaned up before they came to Him. And if we're going to be His people, we need to do the same thing. A few years ago, Cindy and I went up to Washington, D.C., and while we were there, we went to St. John's Episcopal Church. Anybody been to St. John's? It's about 200 feet from the White House, White House grounds. In the cemetery at St. John's Episcopal is a man named William Wallace Brown. Interesting thing about William Wallace Brown being buried there, it was about 15 years ago, is that St. John's is known as the Church of Presidents because since 1808, every president, virtually every president since James Madison has worshipped there at one time or another. Very prestigious kind of place. Well, one day, William Wallace Brown was homeless, living on the streets of Washington, D.C., when he saw a man he recognized about to go into St. John's for Sunday service. It was George H.W. Bush. And he, he called out to him and said, hey, would you pray for me? And Mr. Bush said, no, you come in here with us and pray for yourself, and we'll pray for you too. And so William Wallace Brown, Jr., the homeless man, and the President of the United States walked side by side, shoulder to shoulder, down the aisle at St. John's Church. And William Wallace Brown kept coming. Every Sunday he would put a crumpled $1 bill in the silver collection plate as it was passed around. When he died, they buried him in the church cemetery next door. And one of the people at his funeral said, in God's eyes, the homeless man and the most prestigious among us are exactly the same. The question is, who are we at Matthew's party? What table are we sitting at? You see, what what we need in this church is just a bunch of Matthews. We need a bunch of greedy, dishonest, self-centered people like him. And this is where you come in. That's where I come in too. Because we need people that have found Jesus that want to tell somebody else about him. Because everybody's welcome. What Jesus is looking for is another Matthew and another Matthew and another Matthew. Because he wants people to come to his party just as you are. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for accepting me just as I am. When I was broken and homeless and needing everything, that you loved me anyway. Thank you for loving every single one of us with that love. God, give us eyes to see people through your eyes and love them too, and invite them too. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen.